Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, are you ready for 150 takes in 50 minutes? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I am not ready for that, in fact, uh, but I think we'll have something close to that here. We got quite the announcement. Was it yesterday, two days ago about what's happening on Magic Arena? Heck yeah, we did. Free draftos, baby. Oh, my goodness. OK, so here's the announcement for folks who don't know. For folks who don't have a Magic Arena account, perhaps you're going to want to make one because we've got extra premier drafts and first entry equals no entry fee for the next three formats. So they're throwing three flashback formats at us, August 10th through 15th, Amonkhet Remastered, August 15th through 20th, Kaladesh Remastered, and August 20th through 26th, Ikoria Layer of Behemoths. And your first entry into each premiere draft has no entry fee. How crazy is that? That is super awesome. And it's because they're releasing Jumpstart Historic Horizons late, right? Which we didn't care about anyway. So score for us. <laughs> yeah, score for us. And normally we wouldn't be releasing this episode, right? I was streaming yesterday and people were asking, hey, are you going to be doing this? And I was like, ah, it's just like two last minute. And then I was thinking because we were already going to record this episode Wednesday night anyway, since I'm going on vacation this weekend, I was like, why don't we just switch our plans and we'll talk about these three sets and we'll release it early so that people can actually have the information. Because I think not only do our listeners want something like this, but I think there's just a lot of folks out there who are like, hey, I got this free token. I'd like to maximize this uh, ability to get some gems or some cards. How can I do it? And so we're here to help. Heck yeah. You beasted the show notes today. I had my first day of school today, so I was not much help. You texted me and I was like, sure, if you want to do all the work and you yeah. did. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's what we're going to get to today. So before we dive into those three sets, uh, first things first, some housekeeping. The Patreon page, patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where folks can go to give back to the show if they so choose. We have a lot to get to today, so I'm not going to espouse anything about how great the Patreon is or how great the Discord is, which is what you get access to when you give to the Patreon. Just head over there if you feel like the show gives you value and you want to give back and be part of what I think and what Ben thinks, and I really, really do believe this to be the best limited community on the internet. Um, and of course, we want to welcome our new patrons to the fold the first week that they join. And so this week, we are welcoming Arian and Kevin. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yes, cannot say thank you enough. Show is also brought to you in part now by Channel Fireball. Channelfireball.com, best place to go for anything and everything you need magic-related. I just want to take a second to say how awesome Channel Fireball is. And I think you would agree with that. I just feel so incredibly supported by them, not only through the podcast, but just as a content creator in general. They are amazing to work with. Is that because you got like a 1500 viewer host from the Magic Channel the other day from Channel Fireball saying, hey, go raid Ben? It is sort of, but I mean, that's just <laughs> one thing on a long list of things, you know, like when you're working for someone and I mean, we're independent contractors or whatever, but I feel like I'm a part of something at Channel Fireball, which is an awesome feeling to have as an employee. Like I want to do my best work for them when I'm creating video content or creating articles and just to feel that support in return from them through a number of different ways is awesome. I couldn't agree more. And I've been really thinking about it this month because this is actually a year since we started working with CFB. And the excitement about that partnership has not worn off in that year. No, not at all. And you know, it was crazy. The first time we did an episode for them, they asked us to just sort of talk about what Channel Fireball meant to us as people, you know, that grew up watching Channel Fireball videos. And I still feel 
extraordinarily lucky to be making content for Channel Fireball, and that will never get old, I don't think. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So if you need magic things, please, Channel Fireball is taking care of us, and we really want to give that love back to them. So please, if you're purchasing magic stuff, sealed product, whatever, CFB Pro subscription, please get it over at ChannelFireball.com and make sure you use code LOL, all caps, when you check out to let them know that we sent you over there. So today I threw out a tweet when I had this idea of like, all right, well, maybe we should switch up what we're doing for the episode tonight. Uh, I threw out a tweet to say like, hey, if we were going to do a fast and loose episode on these three sets, what would folks want to see? And so thank you to everybody who threw out some feedback. It helped to shape how I structured these show notes for today. Um, So just let everybody know what our goals for this episode are, is to give you broad strokes about archetypes, mechanics, themes, and then top commons. I wasn't going to do top commons, but it was something that so many folks requested that I was like, all right, we got to put them in here. So you're going to get them. And if you're interested in other Lords of Limited content on these three sets. We have some other episodes out there. For Amonkhet Remastered, we only have one, episode 164. Kaladesh Remastered, episodes 176 through 179. And Akoria, uh, we did a, you know, that was a main set. So we did a lot of episodes on that. But the great place to start would be our 50 takes episode, which is 155. Okay. Let's dive into Amonkhet Remastered first. That's the first set that's out now, uh, August 10th through the 15th. What's the first thing we want to talk about, Ben? First thing we want to talk about is Exert, which is the aggressive mechanic of choice. So Exert was a mechanic where you could, as your creature was tapping, or not, there were even other things besides attacking, but you could exert your creature, which basically meant you got an extra boost on your ability for that turn for the creature, and then it didn't untap during your next untap step. Yeah, so this is concentrated in green, white, and red, and there's a lot of headliner cards for this. I would say chief among them is Gustwalker, which is one on white for a 2-2. When it attacks, you can exert it, and if you do, it gets plus and plus one and flying until end of turn that's probably like you know the poster child for exert from Amonkhet remastered yeah hooded brawler is another super sweet one it's two and a green for a three two and when you exert it it gets plus two plus two it's just so difficult to block a card like that that costs three mana at common yeah it's attacking as a five four you know some of the the interesting things you want to think about when you're exerting which i don't really even have in the show notes but if the thing gets plus one plus one right that's effectively getting you just half a power of damage uh, over those two turns but if a thing is giving plus two plus two like hooded brawler or like kenra scrapper which gets plus two plus oh and menace when you exert it it's a three mana two three in red you know getting that big boost of exert um that really doesn't take away from the attack right you're like okay well dealing four damage this turn rather than two damage on one turn and two damage on another turn that's going to incentivize you to exert a lot more for sure there are also exert creatures that are x ones and you really have to be careful of just jamming those in multiples because black as a color in this format just has a ton of ways to punish x ones and i think is one of the stronger colors in the format that's kind of what i remember the last time we went through Amonkhet remastered so there's splendid agony which is two in a black for an instant and you can distribute two minus one minus one counters as you choose among any number of creatures And then there's also Cartouche of Ambition, which is super sweet. There's a whole cycle of these, but the black one uh, gives your creature plus one, plus one and lifelink. And then you get to put a minus one, minus one counter on an opposing creature. Right. So the two exert X ones that come to mind are Oketra's Attendant, I believe is what it's called, which is a two mana, three one in white. When you exert it, uh, you prevent all combat damage that we dealt to it. And there's Nefcrop and Tangler as well, which is a red two mana, two one. Uh, When you exert it, it gets plus one, plus two and trample. Um, So you really want to be on the lookout for those X ones. And that brings me to a larger point. One of the other things that folks asked for a lot on Twitter was, hey, can you talk about the speed of the format? And honestly, the speed of these three formats is kind of similar-ish. Ikoria has its own thing going on, but I would say Amonkhet Remastered and Kaladesh Remastered both are like 
yes, you can do aggro things, but also you can do pretty crazy late game controly engine things as well, which we'll get to more in Kaladesh. Um, but I, I don't think Amonkhet Remastered is as aggressive as Amonkhet was because I think partially of those black cards that keep the aggressive decks in check. Yeah, I think on the spectrum, my memory of it is that we came in pretty hot on thinking this was going to be closer to HOU, but then yes. it was like on the sliding scale between Amonkhet and HOU was like near the middle, but skewed toward Amonkhet slightly. Yeah, I think so. But I, it, it did, I think, it, at the end of the day, feel like its own format. It wasn't really on one of the, the two poles there. Yes, I completely agree. And the last thing that I'm, we want to touch on here about Exert is you want to be on the lookout for ways to untap things like Dauntless Haven, which is a three mana, two, one flyer and white. When it attacks, you can untap a creature you control or something like Synchronized Strike, which uh, gives two creatures plus two, plus two, and you can untap both of them because that lets you cheat on Exert, right? Or if, or if you have a way to give something Vigilance, that means it's not tapping when it attacks, so you can just Exert as you please. 100%. And we talked about that black cartouche, cartouche of ambition. There's a whole cycle of these and they're definitely at their best in the aggressive deck. Certainly the red, the white and the green are all very aggressively oriented. And red is the least bang for your buck on those. So what they are real quick, the white one gives plus one plus one and first strike and you get a one one token along with it. Red, you get plus one, plus one in haste, and a target creature and opponent controls can't block that turn. Look at you. These aren't even in the show notes. My goodness. Listen, sir, I drafted a lot of Omniket back in the day. I know. I'm, I'm loving it. Keep, you'll, notice, keep going. you'll notice, though, that I'm carefully leaving out the mana costs because I'm a little fuzzy <laughs> on that. It's Both always red single and... red and single white, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then yeah, there's the green cartouche, cartouche of, uh, no, I shouldn't go for the names. That was reaching strength, too far. Strength, strength, strength. <laughs> <laughs> so there's the green cartouche, cartouche of strength, and that's two and a green for plus one, plus one and trample. And when it ETBs, your creature fights target creature and opponent controls. Yeah, for sure. And the blue one is a one and a blue, plus one, plus one and flying and ETBs draws a card. And so in addition to these cartouches, there's also a whole cycle of trials, which are uncommons that synergize with them. And this was a big part of Amonkhet and Amonkhet Remastered as well. So for example, the red trial, it's trial of zeal, it's two and a red for an uncommon enchantment. When it ETBs, it deals three damage to our creature or player. And then when a cartouche enters the battlefield under your control, you get a return trial of zeal to its owner's hand. So you get to rebuy these powerful effects over and over when you play a cartouche after you play your trial. Yeah, I already got to live this dream yesterday when I was drafting this set. I think I had three cartouches and two of the red trials. And when you have like two red trials in play and then play a cartouche and return both of them to your hand, boy, howdy, is that a lot of value? Yeah, the game's just over. Yeah. The white trial is also especially powerful. This is Trial of Solidarity. It's two and a white for an enchantment. When it ETBs, creatures you control get plus two, plus one, and gain vigilance until end of turn, which also means you can exert them without getting punished, right? That's a huge part of that. And then you get to rebuy it as if you really need to do that. Sometimes you don't even, uh, but yeah. if you play a cartouche, you can do that effect again. The white trial will just often end the game the turn it comes into play. There's another cycle of cards th that are monuments. There's really only one worth talking about, which is Oketra's Monument. These are artifacts at Uncommon. So Oketra's Monument is three mana for a legendary artifact. It says white creature spells you cast cost one less to cast. And so that's true for each of the other cycles, right? They respectively reduce the cost of the color that they're associated with. And this one says... When Whenever you cast a creature spell, just any old creature spell, create a 1-1 white warrior creature token with vigilance. And this, honestly, you can play this in non-white decks sometimes if they're super creature heavy, but in white creature-based decks, this card is a house. Yeah, for sure. Our next point that we want to talk about, and this is one of the reasons that I think this format doesn't skew all the way back to Amonkhet, is that there are a ton 
of sweepers in this format. They're, they're concentrated in white, red, and black, but there are a lot of board wipes. And because we only get to play this format in best of one, I think it's going to be really important for folks to understand like when they need to overextend and when they need to hold creatures back in case there's a sweeper. Yes, 100%. I remember the first time I ever played against my brother's deck that had a sweeper. And I just remember feeling like, what am I supposed to do? If you have this card, I lose. But then if I play like you don't have it and you don't have it, I'm going to lose also. It just feels terrible. But there is a little more strategy to it than that. You just have to put down just enough pressure to turn the corner, which is hard to hard to realize. But it is a good skill to develop. Next up, deserts, baby. Man, that was such a sweet part of this format. They're incredibly high picks. So what deserts are is they're cycling lands. It's a land that ETBs tapped. And you can pay mana to cycle it to draw a card. And there's also cards that care about you having deserts in play or in the graveyard, which is just crazy powerful. Right. So there's a lot to unpack about these cards. I think at least initially, I don't know if I was just like, you know, spiking a lot of drafts yesterday where folks were using their free tokens. And so they weren't familiar with the formats, but these were not getting snapped up. It was quite easy for me to end up with like half a dozen of these at the end of the draft. So they're not only inherently powerful themselves, right? If, if nothing cared about deserts, if they were just cycling lands, they mitigate flood, right? So you can run 18 lands and not be worried about it because you've got this handful of lands that if you top deck them, you can just cash them in for a new card off the top. Right. And then in addition to that, they're just cycling themes scattered across the format, mostly concentrated in blue and black that care about you cycling cards. So for example, there's a card called Horror of the Broken Lands, and it's a black card, four and a black for four, four. It says whenever you cycle or discard another card, Horror of the Broken Lands gets plus two, plus one until end of turn and has cycling for a black. So this will turn on your other things that care about cycling. But then if you have lands that cycle, it just powers up these type of cards even further. Yeah, or a card that I love so much, Vile Manifestation. One on black for an 0-4, it gets plus one plus 0 for each card with cycling in your graveyard, and it has cycling too. Um, so the deserts are going to help out cards like that. There are also cards that just care about deserts. So not only do they care about cycling, but there's cards that care about deserts. Sand Strangler, probably best of the bunch, three and a red for a 3-3. Three, three. When ETB if you control a desert or there is a desert in your graveyard, you can have Sand Strangler deal three damage to target creature. That was the best uncommon in the set back in the day, right? Yeah, well, we had an argument with like that and another card, but that other card wasn't reprinted. So yeah, just uh, just go straight to the Sand Strangler uncontested. There's also Wall of Forgotten Pharaohs, which is a super fun card to play with. This is two mana for an 0-4 with Defender, and it deals one damage to target player, but you can only activate that ability if you control a desert or have a desert card in your graveyard. So this was kind of a plan in and of itself, especially if your opponent's trying to be aggressive, which you won't really know ahead of time, but three or four Wall of Forgotten Pharaohs and some deserts is a great start to a deck that not only has defensive speed, but also attacks your opponent on an axis that's just difficult to interact with i had five wall of forgotten pharaohs in a deck yesterday and someone in chat was like how does this deck win i was like just you wait <laughs> oh you sweet summer child a lot of clicking but it will win um and then there is a cycle of uncommon deserts that are deserts themselves and then also have an activated ability to sacrifice a desert to get a bonus one of them being if near deadlands which is insane this is the black one and its activated ability is two black black tap sack a desert put two minus one minus one counters on target creature and opponent controls at sorcery speed there's also ipnu rivulet if you want to go deep this is the blue one and does all those same things can add colorless pay a life to add blue and then its ability is one blue tap sack a desert target player puts the top four cards of his or her library into his or her graveyard and certainly in a control mirror this can just win you the game yeah and i did play a handful of control mirrors yesterday for sure uh next up we want to touch on that there's a lot 
of fixing in the format. So you've got Evolving Wilds as a colorless land, but then there's just a ton in green. Too much to name here. Uh, chief among them is Oasis Ritualist. This is three and a green for a two, four. It taps out a mana of any color to your mana pool, but then you can tap and exert it. So this is a non-attacking exert ability. Tap and exert it to add two mana of any one color to your mana pool. Yeah. And then there's also some good top end to ramp too. There's Greater Sandworm at Common, which is 5 GG for a 7-7, and it can't be blocked by creatures with power 2 or less, which is super relevant in this format, and then also has Cycling 2. Yeah, and then also Sifterworm is a powerhouse at Uncommon. This is 5 GG for a 7-7 Trample. When it ETBs, you scry 3, and then you reveal the top card of your library and gain life equal to that card's converted mana cost. Wow, these these old templates. Uh, what's converted mana cost? It's mana value now, buddy. Rest in pepperonis, converted mana cost. <laughs> but yeah, so green gets a lot of ways to ramp and fix and then also gets that inherent like payoffs for doing so even at non-rare. Next up, we want to talk about just the format being a wide range of strategies. It can be super aggressive. Certainly there are aggressive decks, red, white, you know, green, white, exert. The exert decks generally are beat downy, but there's also decks on the complete other end of the spectrum that are just trying to brick wall those decks and then grind people out in the late game. And all of the different strategies can be successful in the format. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, we're only going to get to play this format in best of one. Last time, both of the remastered sets came back. We had best of three for a little bit. Um, so, you know, aggro strategies are going to be a little juiced by that as well. But I, I still have found, even just in the few drafts I did yesterday, that, you know, games are ending on turn five with aggressive decks and games are going to decking as well. So there's there's a wide range of stuff going on. So speaking of grinding, if you're interested in grinding, one of the mechanics that is super sweet and contributes to the format being pretty grindy is Embalm and or Eternalize. So these were in their respective formats. Eternalize is from HOU and that is you pay a mana cost when your creature's in the graveyard and you get to make a copy of that creature that is a 4-4 and has all of its abilities. And then in Balm, you pay a cost when the creature's in your graveyard and you just get a token that's a copy of that creature, whatever its power and toughness originally were. It's not static at 4-4 like Eternalizes. Yeah, I think it's not as good as it was in HOU, but I think it's still a strong mechanic. And especially if you can get, I think this is the linchpin uncommon, Vizier of the Anointed. So be on the lookout for this. Three and a blue for a 2-4. When an ETB you search your library for a creature with Eternalize or Embalm and put it into your graveyard. And whenever you activate an Eternalize or Embalm ability, you draw a card. So that not only means you're getting, you know, a two for one from your creature, right? Your creature is in play, it dies, then you Embalm or Eternalize it, and you get that value of a creature again. But if Vizier is in play, then you're also drawing a card off that. It's really powerful. Next up, we want to talk about cycling. It's different than it was in Ikoria, and it's certainly less aggressive and less oppressive, but it's still a very viable strategy. It's much more about incremental value and like managing how many lands you draw and just and just incrementally accruing advantage over your opponent. So it was used as kind of a flexible mode for expensive spells in this format. And there's, there's really no cards like Zenith Flare or Snare Tactician that you need to worry about. So if you didn't like that stuff in Ikoria, don't be worried about that from cycling coming from this format. And I think the, the cards to look out for are mostly at rare that'll like pull you into the deck. You know, if we're talking about, hey, be on the lookout for Vizier of the Anointed. That's a reason to do an Embalm Eternalize thing. There are three rares I want to point out, the most powerful of which is is by far, Archfiend of Ifnir. Three black black for a 5-4. It has 
flying. So that's just a five mana, five four with flying. Whenever you cycle or discard another card, you put a minus one, minus one counter on each creature your opponents control. Oof. Card's great. There's also Drake Haven, which is a super sweet build around enchantment at rare. It's two and a blue for an enchantment. Whenever you cycle or discard a card, you can pay one. If you do, you make a two, two blue Drake creature token with flying. And a personal favorite of mine, Abandoned Sarcophagus, three mana for an artifact. You may cast non-land cards with cycling from your graveyard. If a card with cycling would be put into your graveyard from anywhere else and it wasn't cycled, exile it instead. So this is like the opposite of Zenith Flare, right? Zenith Flare was a card that didn't care if you had already cycled all your stuff, right? Because it wanted all that stuff to be in the graveyard. And so you just wanted to cycle to dig for it. So it was sort of fueling itself in that way. Sarcophagus does that, but in an opposite sense, because it's like, Xenothar was just like, and you're dead. And Sarcophagus is like, and now the value train rolls on. I love Abandoned Sarcophagus. You got to play that deck way more than me when this format was around. But the one time <laughs> I did it, it was a ton of fun. And, and we should just point out that in this format, it says like cycle or discard on all those things. So that means that something like Seeker of Insight, which is a looter, it's one in a blue for a one three. And if you've cast it on creature spell this turn, you can tap it to draw a card, then discard a card. So that will trigger, you know, your Archfiend of Ifnir or your Drake Havens or whatever. So just be on the lookout for that stuff as well. So we've talked about a bunch of strategies that fall under the headliner mechanics so far. There are some other sweet things going on in this format. One of my favorite decks is blue red spells, and it cares a lot about prowess so there's a couple different kinds of cards one of them is riddle form this took us a while to initially catch on to how busted this is it's one on a blue for an enchantment whenever you cast a non-creature spell you can have riddle form become a three three sphinx creature with flying in addition to its other types until end of turn and you can pay two and a blue to scry a one yeah that card is really strong here it's backed up by a couple commons you've got firebrand archer which is one in red for a two one whenever you cast a non-creature spell uh, you deal damage to an opponent and spellweaver eternal which is one and a blue for a two one with prowess, but it also has a flicked two, which is a mechanic we haven't talked about yet. Um, but a flicked uh, cares about if the creature is blocked, it will then deal damage to the blocking player to that number. So a flick two, if it gets blocked, it's going to deal two damage to your opponent anyway. Black white is all about zombies and it's basically just zombie tribal. So if you like tribal decks, black white is for you. There's a bunch of different good cards that power zombies up. One of the sweetest ones is Binding Mummy. This is one in a white for a 2-2. Whenever a zombie enters the battlefield under your control, you may tap target artifact or creature. And it really is a way to let you be aggressive as the zombie deck. And the mechanics that let you get stuff out of your graveyard make zombie tokens, which is super sweet. Yeah. And another card that's really powerful is Unconventional Tactics. Two and a white for a sorcery. Target creature gets plus three, plus three, and gains flying until end of turn. And you'd think like, well, that's horrible, right? That's a sorcery speed trick. But whenever a zombie enters the battlefield under your control, you can pay a single white. And if you do, you get to rebuy unconventional tactics from your graveyard to your hand. So in a zombie deck, you just get to keep replaying this, launching zombies into the air for huge amounts of damage. And then lastly, black green is supposedly minus one, minus one counters and kind of moving those around. But this didn't come together often in Amoncat Remastered. It was kind of weird. Yeah, it was a little unfortunate. I think it got nerfed. Basically, the only way I think you're supposed to get into the deck is if you open the, the signpost rare, which is Hypatra Vizier of Poisons. It's black green for a 2-2. When it deals combat damage to a player, you can put a minus one, minus one counter on target creature. And whenever you put a minus one, minus one counter on a creature, period, you get to create a 1-1 one, one green snake creature token with death touch. Yeah, card is very powerful. Speaking of powerful cards, there are a boatload of bombs Oof. in this format. Cards like Glorybringer, Approach of the Second Sun, Scarab God, like 
a lot of the powerhouse cards in the cube on arena come from this format yeah so i you know i think this format is fun but i will say you know compared to kaladesh remastered i don't think this really holds a candle to it and it's partially because of just how swingy it is like there are going to be really fun games and i had a lot of really good games playing through this format but games are also going to just like end or nearly end with a resolved one of these cards and that's just something you're going to be signing up for especially in best of one so just as a broad summary of archetypes there's a really wide range of viable strategies the best decks for aggro are red, white, green, red, green, white, and those are all aggro based exert decks. Yeah. And then I think, you know, on other ends of the spectrum, you've got blue, black control, blue, white control via the embalm eternalized mechanic and green based multicolor good stuff decks. And those are, I think, the premier archetypes for the format. Right. Yeah. I think other decks you're, you know, you can get into, you know, red, black is a good deck sometimes, but, you know, you're going to be getting into those, I think, a little more rarely. So then if we zoom in and take a look at the top commons in white, you've got Gustwalker. That's the one in white for the 2-2, and you can exert it to give it plus one, plus one, and flying. Uh, compulsory rest, all hail pacifism. One in a white for an aura, enchanted creature, enchanted creature can't attack or block, and the enchanted creature has pay two, sacrifice the creature, you gain two life. And there's also Cartouche of Solidarity that's white for the enchant creature. And whenever Cartouche of Solidarity enters the battlefield, you make a 1-1 white warrior creature token with Vigilance, and it gives the enchanted creature plus one, plus one, and first strike. Moving on to blue, we've got Essence Scatter. This is one and a blue for an instant to counter target creature spell. There's Striped Riverwinder. This is six and a blue for the 5-5 with Hexproof, and it has Cycling for a blue. I have a question mark after that. I don't know if that's in the top three blue. I was It's tough for me to find the, the third one. I do think Unquenchable Thirst has a place here. So this is one in a blue for an aura enchanted creature uh, doesn't untap during its controller's untap step. And if when you cast it, you control a desert or have a desert in your yard, then it taps the thing. So very similar to Charmed Sleep. Black has all kinds of goodies. Splendid Agony, we've already talked about. That's two in a black for the instant and you put two minus one minus one counters distributed as you choose on any number of creatures. Cartouche of Ambition as well. That's the aura that grants plus one plus one and lifelink. And when it ETBs, puts a minus one minus one counter on a creature. And then after that, it gets a little murky, but they're all very good. So there's Final Reward, which is four and a black for an instant exile target creature straight up. No questions asked. And we've also got Wander in Death, which I think is quite strong. But for, you know, the more controlling decks, two and a black for a sorcery. Return up to two target creature cards from your graveyard to your hand. And it also has Cycling 2. I think every black deck in the format wants a copy of Wander in Death. It's just so powerful. I agree. Moving on to red, we've got Open Fire, two and a red for an instant, deal three damage to any target. Uh, Magma Spray is up next. Single red, deal two damage to a creature. If a creature would die, you exile it instead. Super relevant against, there's a uh, an Embalm creature. It's three and a blue for a 3-2 flyer. Um, really lines up well against the Embalm Eternalized stuff if you can kill it. And then in third, we've got Kenra Scrapper. It's two and a red for a 2-3 with Menace, and you can exert it as it attacks. If you do, it gets plus 2, plus 0 until end of turn. Lastly, in green, uh, Cartouche of Strength is up first. Two and a green for the aura. Enchanted Creature gets plus 1, plus 1, and Trample. And when the Cartouche ETBs, the Enchanted Creature fights a target creature you don't control. There's Oasis Ritualist, three and a green for a 2-4. Tap to add a mana of any color to your mana pool and exert it. You get two mana of any one color to your mana pool, which we should note that lets you splash off color bombs, right? If you get three yes. of this type of effect. So if you get three Oasis Ritualists, for example, you can splash a double colored rare 
off your three Oasis Ritualist. That's a very big part of the format. Yep. And lastly, I elected to put Bitterbow Sharpshooter on here. This is four and a green for a four, four with Vigilance and Reach. Love that body. All right. So, you know, Almond Cat Remastered, I think, is fun, but I was really blown away by Kaladesh Remastered when it came out. Kaladesh Remastered was so much fun. Yeah. So the first thing, and I think the the most important thing to understand, is that energy is the best and most powerful thing to abuse in the format. So energy is, you know, another resource that exists in this format. If you've never played with it, it just exists on you and you can accrue it from some cards and then some cards... You know, if you have energy, you can put the energy into it to get a bonus. And there were a lot more ways, if I remember right, to make energy in this format than there were places to put energy. So there were three commons that gave you a very consistent outlet to put energy into, which is really important. So first up is Thriving Rhino. This is two and a green for a two, three. When it ETBs, you get two energy. And when it attacks, you can pay two energy if you want. If you do, you get to put a plus one, plus one counter on Thriving Rhino. A card that was like such a huge overperformer from when I initially looked at the set was Ether Swooper. One on a blue for a one, two with flying. When it ETBs, you get two energy. And when it attacks, you can pay two energy. And if you do, you make a 1-1 servo artifact creature token. And then in red, you've got Ether Chaser, which is one in red for 2-1 first strike. And when it ETBs, you get two energy. And when it attacks, you can pay two. If you do, you make a 1-1 servo artifact token. So, you know, we didn't do much content for Amonkhet Remastered. We only did one episode. But for Kaladesh Remastered, we did four whole episodes. We were really liking it. And I think it was at a lull in the format. And I also like wrote some stuff for CFB. So I spent a lot of today just like going back through our show notes for those episodes, reading through my old articles. And I felt very confident, so I'm going to trust Ethan of the past, that those (laughs) three creatures are the top three commons in the format. I remember that very clearly too, crystal clear. So I do think that teamer-based energy decks are the best in the format, since they not only have the support at common, but they also maximize build-arounds at higher rarity as well, and we'll get to those in just a bit. Next point about the format is that fixing is abundant. There are three very important commons in the format, and first up is Prophetic Prism. This is a butte. Two mana for an artifact when it enters the <laughs> battlefield, you draw a card and you can pay one mana and tap it to add one mana of any color to your mana pool. So it replaces itself and then lets you filter mana through it to turn it into mana of any color. There's also Renegade Map, single mana for an artifact, it ETBs tapped, and then you can tap and sack it to search your library for a basic land, reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle your library. This reads very clunkily but effectively plays out like evolving wilds there's also a tune with ether which is green mana for a sorcery search your library for a basic land card reveal it put it in your hand and then shuffle your library and you get to make two energy this is just basically get a land and half a card yeah i mean you know whatever we just already saw that two energy gets you a one one creature token or a plus one plus one counter on a thriving rhino so like you're you're venturing into the dungeon baby like you're getting some some little incremental value there that's definitely like yeah 1.5 for one or whatever you should also think about like a tune with ether and renegade map and this is coming from the person who loves to run 18 lands and their limited decks like the first two copies of each of those can just replace lands straight up in your deck yeah i think i my tendency is to more run 16 with two of them yeah. And then maybe fair. 15 with three of them. Like they kind of incentivize me to go towards 18 sources, but fewer lands, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think just re- remind yourself, even with the abundance of fixing, and I think the same should be true for Amoncat Remastered. Um, there's powerful things to splash. There's a lot of fixing. But remember, you want three sources for one splash pip and that it's worse to splash in an aggro deck. So just don't jam Cloud Blazer in your red, white beatdown decks, please. 
Preach. Moving on to number three on our list here. There's a lot of artifacts in this set. You know, we just saw Renegade Map. We just saw Prophetic Prism. Lots of cards care about artifacts. So there's a mechanic called Improvise, and that's present in the Grixis colors primarily, red, black, and blue. And you can use artifacts to cast spells. So for example, there's Sweatworks Brawler. This is three and a red for a three, three with Improvise. So you can tap artifacts to help cast it. And it's got Menace. There's a lot of colorless cards in the set. And I think some key ones we want to point out specifically. First up is Cogworkers Puzzle Knot. Um, this is two mana for an artifact. When it ETBs, you make a 1-1 servo. And you can pay one and a white to sacrifice the Puzzle Knot to make a 1-1 servo. So the reason why a card like this is good, even outside of a white deck that can't activate it, is it gives you two artifacts artifacts and you'll see that there's a lot of stuff in the in the set we may not even talk about them here but stuff that cares about artifacts entering the battlefield improvise right this gives you two artifacts to eventually power out like a high mana value improvise card so be on the lookout for stuff like that next up is a favorite of mine this is dukara Peafowl, and this card looks completely mediocre but it just always overperforms it's four mana for an artifact bird. It's a two four and you can pay blue to give it flying until end of turn. Next up is a card that I think is a powerhouse. Inventor's Goggles. Single mana. It's an equipment. Equipped creature gets plus one plus two. It has an equipped cost of two. But whenever an artificer enters the battlefield under your control, you can attach Inventor's Goggles to it. So think about the two ether creatures we talked about earlier. If you play this on one and then those on two, boom, you've got a 2-4 flyer. Boom, you've got a 3-3 first striker. Inventor's Goggles is very good. Very good. That card was insane in this format. Yeah. Next up is another one that's near and dear to my heart. This is Self-Assembler. It's five mana for a 4-4 four, four, and it's an assembly worker. And then when it enters the battlefield, you can search your library for an assembly worker, reveal it and put it in your hand so they can search up other copies of itself, as it says in the name, Self-Assembler. So this card ranges from completely unbeatable to highly <laughs> mediocre, depending on the matchup. And I think you just want to be aware of whether or not your deck wants this type of card. It's usually if you want some top end and usually you want three, sometimes two is passable and four tends to be a little bit too many, but you can't play three self-assemblers in a deck with three other five drops like very happily. This this needs to be your plan in the five drop slot. This is my Ben Werney Why Me card. I without fail <laughs> will always draw my second copy of self-assembler on turn four. <laughs> like i'm like just about to do the thing please give me one more turn nope there you go uh, a card that's near and dear to my heart uh workshop assistant three mana one two artifact when it dies you can return another target artifact card from your graveyard to your hand this is definitely much more of a meme but it you know if you get two of these and some sack outlets then this is like a loop to loop style thing and that is a deck you can do in the format it's probably a little bit worse in best of one etc but worth pointing out i think yeah, that deck is black-white, for the record. Yes, yes, thank you. And we should point out that, you know, this was, I think, the first set where vehicles existed. And so there's a lot of vehicles in the set, but we've lost one from original Kaladesh, which is Renegade Freighter, which actually we probably don't even need to read because it's not a card in the set. But for folks who, who uh, remember this card, it was very powerful and really beefed up the vehicles matter aspect of the set. And that's still the theme of Red White in Kaladesh Remastered, but I think has taken a little bit of hit and power with the loss of this card. Just as a broad stroke kind of thought for the format, you know, a format like Ikoria, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, is very much uh, an assembling uh, A plus B type cards. You know, you want this card and this card and you jam as many A's and as many B's in your deck as you can and you try to put those cards together. Other formats are less 
uh, straightforward than that. And they care about pockets of synergy and like these three cards working together and then another four cards working together. And this is definitely more that style of format. Yeah, it's really more about like, oh, I have a little bit of this. I got some energy stuff going on, but I also have some artifact matter stuff. And maybe I'm doing a little aggro, but I have this late game engine. Like you can do all of that stuff. It's really not. Uh, I think that really does make your deck better the more of those little overlaps you have. And speaking of engines, that was the thing for this format. You're trying to assemble an engine, right? And so what that is, if you're not familiar with that term, is just kind of either a single card or two or three cards that when combined give you a consistent repeated source of advantage over your opponent. So specifically, there's a card, Era of Innovation. This is one in a blue for an enchantment, and whenever an artifact or an artificer enters the battlefield under control, you can pay one. If you do, you get two energy, and you can pay six energy, sacrifice this, and draw three cards. So it's an engine in the sense that it's going to make energy for you if you have other places to put energy, and then also just is a place where you can dump six energy once you're done making energy. So just to give you an idea, again, coming back to those two ether creatures, the swooper and the chaser, if you have era of innovation in play with one of those two, that's an engine right there, right? You connect, you hit with that. And this is more true for the swooper, not only because it has flying, but it's also in the same color as the era. You can, you know, attack, pay your two energy, you get your servo, boom, pay one mana, an artifact has entered the battlefield, I get two energy again, I can rinse and repeat and do that next turn. Because Honestly, often Era of Innovation was used for that. It was used for repeatable energy rather than, hey, I'm trying to get six energy and cash this in for three cards. Era of Innovation was one of the cards that improved the most from its the original format in the in the remastered version. It was a very high pick in the remastered version. Well, because it was in Kaladesh originally, which was like super aggressive. Right. So there's also a cycle of three modules that also are, again, engine cards. Chief among them is Animation Module, which is a, a rare. So you're not going to see it that much, but it's quite powerful. Single mana for an artifact. Whenever one or more plus one plus one counters are placed on a permanent you control, you may pay one. And if you do, you create a one one colorless servo artifact creature token. And you can pay three and tap it to choose a counter on target permanent or player and give that permanent or player another counter of that kind. There's also a decoction module at uncommons. Two mana for an artifact. When a creature enters the battlefield under your control, you get an energy and you can pay four tap return target creature you control to its owner's hand. That is a terrible Magic the Gathering card when you read it on first glance, like that fails, you know, the vanilla test doesn't affect the board, whatever. But there are so many creatures in this format that have good ETBs. And if you can get to a point in the game where you can afford to invest the mana and replay this, it's just unbeatable. So it's a very swingy type card. But again, this is one of those engines where when you get to that point in the game and you're doing this thing over and over and over, you really just win most of the time. And the last module here is Fabrication Module, three mana for an artifact. Whenever you get one or more energy, you can put a plus and plus one counter on target creature you control. And then it just fuels itself. You can pay four and tap to get an energy. And so then theoretically, if you ever assemble Tron with all three modules, you are just doing the thing. Yes. And I honestly, I hope folks get to do it because it is a dream worth living. There are other good engine cards. Hidden Stockpile, this is what we were referring to in the black-white deck. It's black-white for an enchantment with with revolt 
which is at the beginning of your end step of permanent you controlled left the battlefield this turn, you get to create a 1-1 colorless servo artifact creature token, and then it helps you enable that by having the ability of one sacrifice a creature, scry one. There's also another like powerhouse uncommon in Whirler Virtuoso. This is one blue red for a 2-3. When it enters the battlefield, you get three energy, and you can pay three energy to create a 1-1 colorless Thopter artifact creature token with flying. And again, like this with era of innovation well now you're just getting a 1-1 thopter for the low low cost of one energy and there are ways to turn this infinite like equal to the number of mana you have pretty easily in the format this is better than most of the rares in the format yeah whirler virtuoso is insane next point black is a little clunky in the format and i think it plays a slower grindier game the best it's got a little bit of everything in terms of you know there's energy there's artifact matters there's sacrifice there's just a lot going on with black yeah it pairs best i think with blue or white to take advantage of the artifact synergies with cards like we talked about hidden stockpile it's a, a really good uncommon and underhanded designs that like drains people when you play artifacts and then you can also sack it to just kill a creature if you have two or more artifacts if you do want to get aggressive though there's a common night market lookout which got actually i think again better in this format and it's just super real so it's single black for a one one and when it becomes tapped each opponent loses one life and you gain one life so the shtick with this is that you try to get vehicles that you can then crew with as many night market lookouts as you have and it's actually very difficult for your opponent to interact with and race so sky skiff is the vehicle that comes to mind it's two mana for a two three um, flying vehicle and has a crew cost of one yeah night market lookout is awesome you get three or more of those and that's a game plan in and of itself um, and that leaves white as a color we haven't talked about yet and in my mind it is the weakest of the five colors for the sole reason that it doesn't get to play with energy poor white wah wah it has two mechanics fabricate and revolt revolt is a mechanic that cares about permanence you control having left the battlefield that turn and it's effectively non-existent in the set as there's very few relevant payoffs. So that leaves us with Fabricate. What's going on there? So that's a mechanic that lets you choose whether to put a plus one plus one counter on your creature when it ETBs or make a one one servo. And there's a great payoff if you want to make servos and go wide in Dawn Feather Eagle. This is four and a white for a three three with flyer. And when it ETBs, creatures you control get plus one plus one and gain vigilance until end of turn. Yeah, so, you know, that that is an aggressive mechanic, and I think, you know, green-white fabricate is a very good deck in the format or a deck you, you know, can navigate into and have success with or whatever. Um, but, I, you know, I, I did not draft very many white decks in the format. But I do know that <laughs> Bant ETB Blinks is a favorite deck of yours, Ben. Yeah, this deck is sweet. So basically, there's a bunch of creatures that have really good ETB effects. You know, Cloudblazer is kind of the chief among them. That's the... Three at white blue for a 2-2 flyer. When it ETBs, you draw two cards and gain two life. And then you're trying to use cards that either let you blink it or return it to your hand. So there's something like Aviary Mechanic, for example, which is one and a white for a 2-2. When it ETBs, you can return another permanent control to its owner's hand. Yeah, there's Wisp Weaver Angel. This is a six mana 4-4 four, four flyer in white. When it ETBs, you can blink something. And then there's cards like Ether Trade Winds or Illusionist Stratagem, all doing the same thing. They're either rebuying creatures back to your hand or blinking them. And so there's, yeah, as you said, powerful ETBs, Cloud Blazer, there's Arborback Stomper, which is a five mana, five, four trample in green. When it ETBs, you gain five life. So you're really just trying to pair a bunch of sweet ETBs with these flicker or bounce effects. 
And what's the biggest, baddest thing you can do? Well, there's Aetherflux Reservoir, which you should not draft. It's not for the faint of heart at all. It's four mana for an artifact. Whenever you cast a spell, you gain one life for each spell you've cast this turn. And then you can pay 50 life to have it deal 50 damage to target creature or player. And I don't know why, but when this format came back out, I could not pass Aetherflux Reservoir. I was obsessed with this card. And then what you're trying to do is get this and two aviary mechanics to just essentially storm off. Like you play one aviary mechanic, play the other, return them, and just keep looping your aviary mechanics to storm off. Achievement unlocked. Boom. Uh, last point we want to talk about here is that this is a true draft the hard way format. I am happy to draft any of the 10 color pairs in the set. And I think one of the things you sort of alluded to earlier is that there are cards that matter in the format, like the aforementioned engine cards, that are difficult to identify since they kind of fail quadrant theory. Yeah, absolutely. Like the Coction Module. It just looks like a bad magic card, but it actually is really good. And the board states that it's good in, you either end up often in naturally or you can build your deck in such a way that you're likely to end up in that board state yeah so don't be afraid to bob and weave a little through pack one even into pack two if you're getting past strong rares uncommons and other colors you want to make sure you find your lane and then the commons are going to flow so just in summary abusing energy is by far the best place you can be and that's going to be concentrated in the team or colors you either want to be abusing energy or aggroing out your opponent before they abuse it. And I guess the other, you know, possible way to talk about that is, you know, doing some sort of like late game grindy thing in black or whatever, right? You, you, it's a wide range of archetypes, but I think you don't want to be mid range. You either want to be being an aggro deck clearly, or you've got this late game engine thing going on. And even sometimes the aggro decks will also have an engine to where they can just win in the late game as well, which is pretty unfair. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right. If we take a look at the top commons in white, we've got Glint Sleeve Artisan, which is tuna white for a 2-2. And then when it ETBs, you fabricate one. Next up, we got Dawn Feather Eagle. That's the five mana, three, three flyer ETBs. Creatures you control get plus one, plus one and vigilance. And then lastly, we've got Revoke Privileges. It's Tuna White for an Aura, Enchant Creature, Enchanted Creature Can't Attack, Block, or Crew Vehicles. Moving on to blue, we've got Ether Swooper as a top common here. One on a blue for a 1-2 flyer. When it ETBs, you get two energy. When you attack, you can pay two energy. And if you do, you get a 1-1 one, one servo. That was the best common in the format, right? Wow. Uh, I think Thriving Rhino is better, but I could be convinced that Swooper is the best. It's very close. I love Ether Sweeper. I also love this next card. Gear Seeker Serpent. Five blue blue for a five six. Costs one less to cast for each artifact you control. You can pay five and a blue to make it unblockable this turn. Card is a win condition at common and it is a good win condition at common. Yeah, like it's not hard to envision board states where you're casting this for blue blue. It's it's a very, very good card. Uh, last up, we've got Metallic Rebuke. This is two and a blue for an instant counter target spell unless it's controller pays three and it has improvise. So you can often like tap two artifacts and it's just a single blue cost for this card. Moving on to black, we've got Daring Demolition. This is two black black for sorcery, destroy target creature or vehicle. Sort of falls off. After there, I know you were not a fan of this card, but I still threw it up here. Uh, Ether Poisoner, one on a black for a 1-1 Death Touch. When it ETBs, you get two energy, and when it attacks, you can pay two energy. If you do, you make a 1-1 Colorless Servo. Um, we did not end up putting Die Young on here. I think that card just ended up underperforming pretty hard. This is one on a black for a Sorcery, uh, and you get two energy when you cast it, and you can pay any amount of energy, and then a target creature gets minus X minus X, where X is that energy. 
And then last top common in black, Night Market Lookout, the black for the 1-1, one, one, and when it becomes tapped, each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. Yeah, moving on to red, Ether Chaser's up first, that's one and a red for the 2-1 first strike, gets two energy, attacks, pay two energy, you get a servo. Next is Welding Sparks, which is odd seeing that behind the Ether Chaser, but is definitely right, I think. So Welding Sparks, two and a red for an instant, deals X damage to target creature, where X is three plus the number of artifacts you control. I mean, I felt this way when the format came out when we were playing best of three, and I definitely feel that way in best of one. You want threats more than answers in this format. Um, you know, that's why the, the three creatures that can get energy and pay energy are at the top of the heap. Lastly, we've got Sweatworks Brawler, three and a red for a three, three with Menace and Improvise. Moving on to green, top of the heap, Thriving Rhino, two and a green for the two, three. And when it ETBs, you get two energy. You can pay two energy when it attacks to put a plus one, plus one counter on it. Honestly, nipping at its heels is a tune with ether, single green, uh, search your library for a basic land card, put it into your hand, and you get two energy. Green is so busted. Third green common, Pima Outrider, 2GG for a 3-3 with Trample, Fabricate 1. Just stats, baby. And this isn't even including green's removal spell, Hunt the Week, which is also totally reasonable in this format. And then in colorless, there's actually enough colorless cards, I think, to have colorless top commons. So top of the heap is Prophetic Prism. That's two mana for the artifact that can filter mana through it. And when it ETBs, you draw a card. Renegade map is that Evolving Wilds variant that's on this list as well. And then Inventor's Goggles, the plus one plus two equipment that auto equips. Yeah. All right. Uh, <laughs> let's speed run through this dungeon of Akoria. So we've got less points here as well. Um, because I think, you know, we, we if you want to return to this format and have a really good sense of it, you should just go listen to episode 155. That's our 50 takes episode. That's going to be a great spot for you. But what's going on in Akoria? It's the original column A plus column B format. It is a set very much about macro synergies, payoffs and enablers. Yeah. So the, the kind of headlining decks are cycling and that's primarily concentrated in red, white. There's Mutate, which was primarily concentrated in blue and green. It had some steel and sack stuff going on. There were, and then there were allied color pair things as well. So like red black was seeded with menace payoffs. Vigilance was seeded into green white. There were a lot of things going on in Ikoria. Yeah, but whatever your deck was doing, you really wanted it to be doing that thing. Like that's why we called it column A, column B. You really just wanted to be pointing like these are the things that care about vigilance and these are the things that have vigilance or whatever. And I think you'll get into trouble if your deck is doing a lot of different things. And we had a point in, the, in our 50 takes episode that I think was worth bringing up here, which is that the less linear your deck, the more interaction you want. Yeah, and then the more linear your deck, the less interaction you want because it dilutes your synergy. All right, we have to talk about it. Yes, red-white cycling is the best deck. But it was so much fun to play and so much fun to play against. I don't know. I think I'm in the minority with that viewpoint, but I really did not mind playing against red-white cycling. I thought the games were super intricate. So the boogeyman of the format is Zenith Flare, the elephant in the room, as it were. Mm -hmm. um, this is, I think, a card that ruined the format for a lot of folks. It's two red-white for an instant, deals X damage to any target, and you gain X life, where X is the number of cards with a cycling ability in your graveyard. This is mythic, mythic, mythic uncommon and better than most of the rares in the format if you could draft the red-white cycling deck in your seat. One of the reasons the cycling deck had such a low fail rate was there was such a high prevalence of cyclers and people did not take the one mana value cyclers high enough. So this was the real reason the deck 
popped off. And and the real way that the deck could fail is if you didn't get enough of these. So there were a, a number of cards, except in green, that had a single colorless mana requirement to cycle. And so you could just take, you know, blue cards, black cards, whatever, in your red, white cycling deck and fuel your few payoffs, right? You didn't need a lot of payoffs. And there were good ones that existed at common. I think the best one was Snare Tactician. Two and a white for a two, three. Whenever you cycle a card, tap target creature and opponent controls. There was also Prickly Marmoset, two and a red for a two, three with first strike. And whenever you cycle a card, it gets plus two, plus O oh until end of turn. So uh, if other people are drafting the one mana value cyclers appropriately, this deck sort of evens out. If not, someone's going to get a nutso version of this deck. And a rule that we had was that for every three one mana value cycler you had, you could cut a land. And there was then some fudging based on however many two mana cyclers you had. And the deck could play as few as 12 or 11 lands sometimes, which was crazy. And there was another card that kind of played well with all these other cards, which was Cathartic Reunion, one in red for a sorcery, and as an additional cost to cast it, you could discard two cards and draw three cards. And that was generally in decks that played a higher land count than they actually wanted to. So I think this was a good include if you didn't have the perfect version of the cycling deck because it lets you get through some of the chaff and find your synergies a little bit better. Well, even sometimes you would like, you know, have awkward low land hands that Cathartic Reunion helped you dig out of, or you were cycling so hard that you still did end up getting your, you know, six, seven, eight lands. And you're like, I don't need all these. And so then Cathartic Reunion was helpful there. It was just a, a, a surprisingly good card. For sure. And if you're drafting this deck, you want to be seeing if you're getting past one mana cyclers. And if you are, the lane's open. If you're not seeing one mana cyclers, you shouldn't be trying to draft the deck. But it's good enough that you should be aggressively going after the one mana cyclers if you would like to draft it. Right. You know, you want to see if something like startling development is going to wheel. This is one in a blue for an instant until out of turn target creature becomes a blue serpent with base power and toughness 4-4 and has cycling one. If cards like that that are like generally not looking to be included or only included for their cycling effects aren't wheeling, you might be in trouble. But if they are, boy, you're off to the races. Oh, yeah. You should 100% be drafting the deck if you're wheeling those cards. And you should probably be drafting the deck sometimes even if you aren't wheeling those cards. Right. So next up, which is not the elephant in the room, this is like what? The cotton candy? I don't know. This is the chocolate at the end of the rainbow? That's not even a thing. (laughs) I love it. companions are in this format. Yeah. So we're not going to say what all these cards do, but Loris, Garuda, Obosh, Lutri, Gigantha, and Karuga... That's six of the 10. I think they're all great to good, even post rules change. Like Luris, I think is probably the best of the bunch and Garuda is second. And then the others are in a sort of mix. But like, don't let the companion nerf bring you down. Oh, yeah, you should definitely still be drafting these cards. And then if you are drafting them and you can cast cards that let you reanimate cards, like, for example, Corpse Churn which is one in a black for an instant, put the top three cards of your library in your graveyard and then return a creature from your graveyard to your hand. That's really good if you have a companion, right? And you can cast it because you know you're going to get to cast the companion because you have it in your opening hand. And one of the drawbacks with these cards that either reanimate cards or, you know, are gravedigger style effects where you get to bring them back to your hand is that you don't always know if you're going to have a good creature in your graveyard. But when you if your companion survives, you're winning and your opponent's highly incentivized to kill your companion. So these are great includes in those decks. 
Right. And we should say why companions are so worth building around. You know, something like Gigantha is just that's just an extra card, though it does have some applications. Like I've played Gigantha in a cycling deck, and then because in your cycling decks, you're often playing these off-color cyclers, and then boom, Gigantha's like, hey, I can help you cast some of these if you want to. So there's even value there. But like there's something like Luris is a cool build around, but when you have build arounds and limited, you know, you could go your three matches or your seven, you know, seven to nine games, whatever. And never see that card or only see it a few times. Well, when you companion something, you're, you know you're going to see it. And so you're so incentivized to build around it because you're going to get that payoff from building around it because you're going to see it every game. So they're, they're really worth doing. And it's just incredibly fun. It sort of like puts a stipulation on the draft. Would highly encourage folks to, to do it if you get to pack one, pick one, one of these cards. If you are trying to win in the format, you can do the companion thing. And I think it's a very real way to win. Cycling, also a very viable way to win. The most consistent way to win is to draft Mardu. And I think this is at the intersection of cycling and then red black, which is very aggressive and has a sack package. Like all of the Mardu cards work very well together and are very synergistic. Yeah. So remember earlier when I was like, this is an A plus B format and you really want to make sure your deck is doing one thing. Well, red black kind of gets to throw that out the window, right? Because you can have like a little mutate package with your cavern whisperers, which are your four, four menaces, your cloud piercers, which is your five, four reaches. These are both mutate creatures. You can have a little menace stuff going on. We already said that red black is doing menace in terms of um, that's it's like, you know, allied color pair seated thing. But menace also fuels your tentative connection. Folks who are fans of price of loyalty and AFR are going to love the red black steel and sack deck. So you got tentative connection, which is three in a red gain control of target creature until end of turn on tap it against haste. But it costs three less to cast if you control a creature with menace. Who baby. There's also two great uncommons for the sacrifice deck. Bastion of Remembrance is a black enchantment. It costs two and a black. And when it ETBs, you get a one-one human soldier creature token, which is sacrifice fodder. And then whenever any creature you control dies, each opponent loses one life and you gain one life, which doesn't sound like a ton, but it really puts the squeeze on your opponent, especially in multiples. And then there's this other great enchantment, weaponize the monsters, single red for an enchantment, two mana, sacrifice a creature, weaponize the monsters, deals two damage to any target. That card is just good. I think in general, and then is just absurd if you're in red black sacrifice. Well, I mean, there's just the thing about red black in this format is that it's very similar to red black and AFR, right? It's commons runs super deep, has great inherent synergy within each of its colors across both colors and synergy with other colors. Yeah, it's just doing it all. And frequently the red, white, black, you were red, black, splashing some white cards or you were white, black, splashing a weaponize the monsters. There was just so much overlap in those three colors. So that leaves us with blue and green behind Mardu in the format. And that's a bummer because Mutate is fun and Mutate stacks can be powerful, but they generally can't compete with either like the red, white cycling deck or that sort of just glut of good commons and Mardu. It was very good, I think, if you were the only mutate drafter in your pod. If you were competing with two or maybe, you know, three people, it was less good. The thing you have to remember when you draft this deck for folks who are new to the set or not remembering the set is that you do not want to be getting into the mutate decks for commons. Right, you it, it can be supported by commons, but you won't get the power. The thing about the red black decks is why it's so good in the format is that you can just like cobble together some commons and have a really strong deck. The cycling deck, you can cobble together some commons and have a really strong deck. Mutate, you can't get there like that. 
Right, you really need uncommon. So speaking of, Archipelagor is one of the better reasons to be mutating. This is five blue blue for a seven seven, and it has a mutate cost of five and a blue. And whenever it mutates, tap up to X target creatures where X is the number of times this creature's mutated, and those creatures don't untap during their controller's next untap step. The card is nuts. Like the mutate cost being lower than the actual cost is wild. It's such a huge tempo play. Like you honestly don't even need it's just a giant frost links, and that maybe not doesn't seem that good, but it's a giant frost links with haste yes and heaven forbid the creature has already mutated once like you put it onto a stack and you get to tap down two or even three creatures it oftentimes ends the game on the spot yeah the other powerhouse at uncommon was auspicious starix this is four and a green for a six six has a mutate cost of five and a green and when the creature mutates you exile cards from the top of your library until you exile x permanent cards where x is the number of times this creature has mutated and you put those permanent cards onto the battlefield so if you're drafting this mutate deck you really want a critical mass of cheap non-humans to start your mutate stack early we would recommend five at a minimum and we're talking like two drop creatures that are non-humans there yeah they gotta be yeah two drops or one drops and you really need five minimum i would say but you should generally be prioritizing mutate creatures rather than mutate enablers yes 100 percent. and your boy migratory great horn what's going on there so migratory great horn is uh three and a green for a three four not very exciting but it has a mutate cost of two and a green and whenever this creature mutates you search your library for a basic land card put it onto the battlefield tapped then shuffle your library this is sort of one of the keys for the deck because oftentimes the mutate decks were splashing because you would get these like you know if you're whatever green black and you get an archipelago well you can better believe i want that in my deck and so migratory great horn helps that and it also helps a mutate stack growing early and it might be weird to hear us talking about mutate stacks you're like oh man don't you like you're setting yourself up to maybe getting two for one but when you're getting the value that a lot of these cards do like auspicious starx that's just getting you a card migratory great horn that's getting you whatever a, a rampant growth effect sometimes the creatures are mutating on to give you an effect so if you're if you're mitigating that you know sort of risk in, in that sense you're setting yourself up for success with mutate for sure outside of that there are a lot of linear decks that you can get into that are good but come together way less often so there's a green white vigilance deck um, and there's a really sweet rare that kind of pushes you into this deck it's frontland felidar two green white for three five with vigilance and creatures you control with vigilance have one tap tap target creature which is just incredibly powerful another pull into the deck is an uncommon called alert heed bonder this is one green white green white hybrid for a two four with vigilance and at the beginning of your end step you gain one life for each creature you control with vigilance i think this might have been the lords of limited poster child card for the format we loved the vigilance deck I love this format. Come on. This is better than Eldraine. Give it to me. I can't. You know, actually, the the crazy thing is, do you know what our 50th take was for this format? That it was the goat. No, this format is fun, but it is not the goat. I think you bullied me into putting that there. <laughs> I would not have bullied you into putting the word not into a point. Um, a, a deck that is near and dear to my heart is Blue Black Flash. And you basically only want to get into it if you open the rare Slither Wisp, which is Blue Black Black for a 3 2 with Flash. Whenever you cast another spell that has Flash, you draw a card and each opponent loses one life. But when you get this card to build around it, it's really sweet. And a lot of the commons in the format 
that have flash are like cards that other people aren't super interested in. There's also black green reanimator, which was a house. So there's sweet monsters that you can cycle to put into your graveyard, like large an eight, eight death touch that you can cycle to put it in your graveyard or a 13, 13 trample. And then you want to use a card like back for more, which is four black green for an instant to return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. And when you do, it fights up to one target creature you don't control. Yeah. That deck is sweet. There's also another reanimator spell at Uncommon in Black. Um, so you really can get that deck to come together. Some interactions to look out for if you're new to the format. Just a few here that we have. Uh, curving Forbidden Friendship into a cheap Of One Mind. So we've got Of One Mind is two and a blue for a sorcery. Draw two cards. But it costs two less to cast if you control both a human and a non-human creature. Well, what does Forbidden Friendship do? One and a red. Make a 1-1 one, one human and a 1-1 one, one dino with haste. Boom. I love that card. That was a huge glue card for any red deck in the format. Yeah. There's also Porcuparrot plus any card with Death Touch. Boot Nipper was the most common, um, but Porcuparrot is two and a red for a three, four bird beast with mutate two and a red and has this creature deals X damage to any target where X is the number of times this creature is mutated. So if you put this on top of a creature with Death Touch, all of a sudden, boom, it taps to destroy target creature. Yeah. And lastly here, uh, a card that looks clunky if you've never played with the set is Mystic Subduel. One in a blue for an aura. It has flash and enchanted creature gets minus two minus oh and loses all abilities. And it even says this on the card, mutating onto the creature won't give it new abilities. So if your opponent goes to mutate a creature onto another creature, if you flash in Mystic Subduel onto that creature, it will negate the mutate ability. Yeah, super blowout. And not only, you know, it shuts off the good cycle payoffs like we talked about, like Snare Tactician. Well, now they can't tap stuff or Prickly Marmoset won't grow, won't have first strike. Uh, Mystic Subduel is a good removal spell. So in summary... Uh, Ikoria was a highly synergistic format. Companions are great build-arounds, and there's a lot of super linear decks that are very synergistic in a lot of different color pairs. And one-mana cyclers are very powerful, even outside of dedicated cycling decks. 100% agree. So our top commons for Ikoria, starting in white, we've got Snare Tactician. That's two and a white for a 2-3. Whenever you cycle, you can tap target creature and opponent controls. Draineth Healer, one and a white for a 2-2. Whenever you cycle a card, you gain a life, and it has cycling one. And Imposing Vantasaur, mostly just because it has cycling one, this is six mana for a 3-6 with Vigilance. You notice what card isn't on here, Ben? The Pacifism? Yeah, Pacifism. Get out of here. You're garbage. Moving on to blue, we've got Essence Scatter, one and a blue for an instant counter-target creature spell. And then two one-mana cyclers, Frostvale Ambush, which is three blue, blue for an instant to tap tar two target creatures. They don't untap during their controller's next untap step. And Startling Development, one on a blue instant. Target creature becomes a 4-4 four, four until end of turn and has cycling one. I, the blue doesn't really have a lot of good commons, unfortunately. And, and like two of its commons are effectively red-white cards. Moving on to black, we've got Blood Curdle. This is three and a black for an instant. Destroy a target creature, and then you put a menace counter on a creature you control. Next up, we've got Whisper Squad. We haven't talked about this yet, but this card is awesome. Single black for a 1-1 one, one human soldier. Pay one and a black. Search your library for a card named Whisper Squad. Put it onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle your library. So here's why this card is so good. Once you take it, you really I obviously want another copy of it. Once you get two of them in your deck, this is effectively just raise the alarm, right? You pay one mana, whatever, that's pretty incidental uh, on turn one. And then you're paying one and a black to get another one one. So that's you know three mana for two one ones. But really, let's call it two mana because paying one mana for something on turn one isn't that big of a deal. 
And then anything beyond that is gravy. And there's already like inherent sacrifice synergies in black for it. This card is phenomenal. Yeah. Speaking of inherent sacrifice synergies, our third common is Bushmeat Poacher. Three and a black for a two, four, one tap, sacrifice another creature. You gain life equal to that creature's toughness and draw a card. So turn those whisper squads into better cards, baby. Oh my God. Bushmeat Poacher is such a house. All right, moving on to red, we've got Fire Prophecy. This is one on red for an instant. Deal three damage to a creature, and then you can choose to bottom a card from your hand, and if you do, you draw a card. What a busted card. This format was so powerful. Next up, we've got Drana Stinger, one on red for a 2-2, and has cycling one, and whenever you cycle a card, you deal one damage to the opponent. And Forbidden Friendship, of course. We would be remiss to not put it here, but there's a Red's Commons run so deep. It was really hard to pick a third one here, but this is one in red for the sorcery. Make a 1 1 Dino with haste and a 1 1 human. Moving on to green, we've got Migratory Great Horns, three and a green for a 3 4 with mutate two and a green. And whenever it mutates, search your library for a basic land card, put it onto the battlefield tapped, and then shuffle your library. I got to give you the next one here, Ben. Next one is Honey Mammoth, four GG <laughs> for a 6 6. When it ETBs, you gain four life. Love that card. Lastly, again, it was hard to pick a third common for green. Like we could have put Ram through here, the removal spell, but I felt like in solidarity with Ben, I couldn't do that. Uh, so I put, <laughs> I put Greater Sandworm on here, 5GG for the 7-7, seven, seven, can't be blocked by creatures with power two or less and has cycling two. You killed my line. I was going to dunk on Ram through and I was going to say, you know what's not on this list? Oh. Boom, <laughs> Ram through, but we got him anyway. And there are going to be people that are going to tell you that Ram through's good. Just don't play Ram through in this format and you will do much better. I think that card actively lowers your win rate. All right. All right. We did it. We did it. A flurry of flashbacks, Ben. That was sweet. That was fun. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's like taking a trip down memory lane, but also just like trying to pack as much info out there. So go forth, use your free draft tokens, get those gems, get those packs and enjoy. Yep. Great place to wrap us up. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thanks so much to ChannelFireball.com for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over to CFB for any all purchases or signing up for CFB Pro, please use the code LOL when you check out to let them know we sent you there. You can check us out streaming. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Mr. is spelled out. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter, and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we will catch you, I guess not next week, in like a week and a half for another episode of Lords <laughs> of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later. There's also a card, Renegade Freighter, that was pretty iconic in this format that is not in this format, which makes vehicles just overall less Wait, powerful. Say what? that again. What? Because you said you said it's not in this form. You said it was in this format and then was not in this format. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, it made sense in my head.
I know what you meant, but it didn't actually make sense. Okay. So in the original version of... <laughs> no, I just shouldn't do it. No, it's great. You're just stressing it so hard. Okay. Stop making fun of me. I'm feeling bullied. Stop. I just got home no, from school. No, no. You're doing great.